0: happy birthday to Redemption Parker. Hey, if you've been here with us for seven years or seven weeks or seven minutes, we are glad that you're here. And it's no small thing to to just recognize uh, as so many of the songs we sang this morning that God has been faithful in fact, uh, throughout His word, God constantly is giving his people reminders and festivals and celebrations and, and buildings and tabernacles and uh, stone cairns uh, to to remember the faithfulness of god and so at seven years, we are now seven years closer to seeing Jesus, seven years closer to his return or us to go go and, and see him, so, so, so we're, we're getting close. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how close we are. The Bible does say that in the end times, uh, evil will increase and the chiefs are in the Super Bowl again, so you can figure that out yourself. Um, but it, we seem to have a lot of Chiefs fans in the room, but... Um, <laughs> Sanctification is a process for a lot of people, for all of us, actually. Uh, But it is a good thing to be the people of God gathered to remember the grace of God. Um, I've been a follower of Jesus now about 30 years. It was about 20 years ago when, when I first started just kind of waking up to this tremendous truth uh, as I study the, the word of God and look at my life, just how much God loves the local church. Uh, he loves us individually, but, but there's a special affection uh, for what he does for a people together. And I was looking at my own life and I was thinking, man, all of the blessings that I have uh, and, and the transformation, I can trace back to the local church, people walking in their gifts, people encouraging me, people teaching and shepherding me. And, and I, we had this kind of just growing conviction, man, the local church is, is where it's at. So, so I, I got saved during the era when it was all about you. And your personal relationship with Jesus and you asking Jesus into your heart and, and, and going into dark rooms. And, and so you don't have to see the other people. Like, like but, but then I was just kind of waking up, man, no, no, it's not all about me. It's about what God is doing in a people uh, uh, around the world and in the local church. And, and so that, that conviction just started to grow in us. And we decided we wanted to, uh, though we were doing amazing, uh, great ministry with military people in Okinawa, Japan, we wanted to be a part of planting churches. And so we moved from Japan, not to America, because we never wanted to be a part of that. But we moved to the Czech Republic uh, to begin to uh, plant churches there. And our kids went into school there, and uh, we we began to learn the language. And uh, as we were uh, literally just months away from launching a a church plant in Brno, Czech Republic, we felt like the Lord was calling us home to care for my father-in-law, Jen's dad, uh, who had Alzheimer's at the time. We didn't know what that meant, so I started applying to all these churches back in the States. Uh, They all said no or ignored me or whatever. Uh, And so uh, I didn't know what we were going to do. And as we were looking to move back... Jen just had one request: anywhere but Parker. <laughs> I said, "Don't worry, we don't have to go to Parker. We're, there's there's better places." And so, um, but as we were looking, it was all, it was kind of during one of those crazy times where like houses would not even go on the market and sell before that. Like uh, it, this is what eight years ago now. Um, and so uh, we were trying to look where were we going to live, and, and I, I looked at. Uh, Zillow or some, some equivalent. And all of a sudden I saw a house. I was like, I've been in this house. And it was one of my best friend's house. And uh, it's, it, I was like, dude, is your mom selling her house? Yeah. Tell her I'll buy it. Like, that's how we bought it from overseas. Like we'll, we'll just buy it. We've been in that house before where we bought it. So we moved to Parker. And as we were here in Parker, we were like, what are we going to do? How long are we going to be there here? How, when are we going to move back overseas? All these questions. And um, we we were just wondering, and that's when my pastor was like, "You should just start open, opening up your home." Invite people in. And so God just began to bring random people like the Dugases into our lives. And, and we said, hey, would you want to get together and, and have a meal together and open up the word and pray for one another? We'll do it each week. And they said yes. And they started inviting people. And those people started inviting people. And, and we saw, man, there is, a, there is a strong felt need in our community for authentic community, for, for accountability, belonging, and care. And so we were just loving that. And um Kind of content with that for a while, but but uh, but we also just realized, man, that 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 that's such a strong need in this little group that has now outgrown our home. What what's going on in the rest of our community? And at the time, I read a book called The Rise of the Nuns, not the religious nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. Uh, it was a, a study for, by missiologists in the church world to, the, that was uh, looking at the, the data that said that across the United States from the 2000 to the 2010 census, uh, in 2000, 9% of people in America identified as no religion whatsoever. So not even cultural Christian, nothing like that, 9%. And in this book, they were kind of alarmed because that number had doubled. It had gone up to uh, more than doubled. It had gone up to 19% nationally. And this, this is a crisis. People are leaving the church in droves. What's, what's going on? They're not even uh, uh, like checking the box. Yeah, I'm Christian, but I never go to church. I said, that's Interesting. I wonder what it's like for my neighbors that, that, we, that surround me here in Parker in Douglas County. And so uh, the, the data is available. And I, I dug into that and I found that 65% of our neighbors checked no religion whatsoever. And I was like, wow, that's not even just cultural Christians. These are like, no, none whatsoever. I found that less than 4% of our neighbors have a church where they go to on a weekly basis. I thought, Man, we are surrounded by tens of thousands of people made in the image of God who do not know Jesus. And if they do, maybe they only know him marginally. Maybe he's only an addition to his life. He's not king of kings, Lord of lords. We said as much as we love our our little gospel community here in our home, uh, these people matter to God. And maybe God would want to do something through us. And so we, we began to look for space. We came to the Pace Center. They showed us this room. We said, that's way too big for anything we, we need. So they gave us the smallest room down the hallway. And uh, we said, do you have anything on Friday nights? Because that's when we were meeting. And uh, they said, no, nothing on Friday nights, only Sunday mornings. And so and we're like, okay, well, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll become a Sunday morning church. And so seven years ago, we, we launched. And that that's, it's been, it's been an incredible adventure, you know, in the first three years, you're just trying to survive as a church plant because most of them don't. And we were told if you're going to plant a church in Denver, you need $300,000 in the bank. And, and uh, like I told the members last week, we had $3 in the bank. So we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have a strategic plan, but we're just trying to survive. We wanted to be a church that plants churches that plants churches. And so on our third birthday, so four years ago, we, we had a celebration service where we launched our first church plant, Redemption Castle Rock, February 2020. It was awesome. Uh, Pastor Matthew, a good friend of mine. He was here with us a couple of years, went out there. Many of you went with him, uh, Castle Rock Middle School. And it was gangbusters for uh, the, that first week. There was like no strategic servants here. It was just me and Brad trying to run the show. And everyone had gone to Redemption Castle Rocks. And we're like, kind of praise God. Uh, and they were doing, they were doing awesome for four weeks and then March 2020 happened, and the schools shut down. We went online, and, and that was just a bomb in the whole, whole world, right? Certainly a bomb in the church world. And during that time, as we're trying to pastor online and all those things that just are so foreign to us, um, yeah, Pastor Matthew said, you know, I, I honestly, I realized that I, I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't pastor these people. So I understand. And so they moved back back east. And we shut down Redemption Castle Rock. And, and then it was just a time to try to survive, trying to get through for a couple years. Uh, and, and we did. And, and now uh, the last couple years, it, it seems, and I don't think I'm overstating it, it seems like um, God has been showing his hand of favor on us. Uh, in, in so many ways, there's, there's just so many evidences of grace. And I'm not just talking about, hey, we have more people. I'm talking about like when, when the Bible says, confess your sins to one another, we're starting to see that. When the Bible says, uh, uh, leverage your life for, for the glory of God, we're seeing that. When we Like, like in so many ways, we're like, oh, the, the favor of God is on us. Uh, he's helping us uh, make some structures and, and, and position ourselves uh, for, for something. We just believe that now at year seven that this this is maybe a crossroads moment or at least a crossroads season in our life as a church one of the things I loved about doing military ministry for 10 years is most of the people we worked with were 18 to 25 year olds. That's, that's an amazing crossroads moment in people's lives, right? That so they're just starting out. They're starting to, who they date, uh, what what they're going to do for their career, uh, where they're going to go. Like the decisions that they make in that moment uh, is going to shape them for the rest of their lives. And they would just invite us into that. And we would kind of seek the Lord's face together. That was amazing. But I, I think The same is true here now at Redemption Parker. We're entering a season that's a crossroads moment, and in the crossroads moment, it's going to determine whether or not, uh, whether or not what, what kind of church we're going to be. Not just next year or the next seven years. But really uh, our, the question that kind of hangs over us. Are we going to be the kind of church that has a gener- has a multi-generational impact that's going to bless people that, that aren't even in the room. That's going to bless people that once we're long gone and dead will still be sing singing the glory of God at redemption Parker. And, and, and I know what I desire, but I don't know how God's going to do that. But I hope that you would have that desire. As well. So, th- this week and, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to pause on our Luke series just for a couple of weeks and, and just kind of remind us of who we are. Remind us of what we are. Remind us of our vision. So, if you've gone to our website and you've seen on the banner, uh, you'll see it say this We are a church that exists to enjoy Jesus and make disciples. Now, that's not just a throwaway slogan. That used to be on the banner, we exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people, which we wholly believe. We just think this helps flesh that out a little bit. But but I think in this crossroads moment as a church, if we're really going to go forward into what God has for us, not just as individuals, but collectively, we've got to understand what we actually mean by this. But what we mean by we say, when we invite you to wrap your life around this statement, we are a church that exists to enjoy Jesus and make disciples. So we're going to take the next few weeks and kind of unpack that together. I'm going to just take the first part of that. We are a church that exists. And you're like, so what? There's thousands of churches. Yeah. No, you don't understand that every church that exists is a miracle of God. Right For the last seven years, the Apostle Paul is going to remind us, for the last seven years as a church, we have faced, and this is not overstating it, demonic oppression and, and, and resistance. Like the, the Paul says, we don't struggle against flesh and blood. You, you think our enemy delights that there's a church singing the praises of God in our city? Absolutely not. And he wants to undermine it at every turn. And so it's a miracle that we are a church that exists. We're a church that exists now. I, I love the church universal, right? Like the the fact that we get to. Uh Stand on the shoulders of giants, of those that have come before us and learn from them. And, and we get to go into heaven with them and, and hear their stories of, of, of their faithfulness and, and talk to some of the famous people like Augustine and Calvin and Luther. And then also just talk to the, the nameless Christians that were faithful. That, that's going to be an amazing thing. I love the church universal. I love the church global. The fact that right now, there are people who don't share our culture and our language, but they are gathered and they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Bible says that a day is coming, Revelation 5 and 7, a day is coming where we're going to gather shoulder to shoulder with all of them and we're going to sing the praises of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's amazing. That's awesome. But where where the rubber meets the road where the Holy spirit actually manifests his presence and his power is in the context of the local church. And I'm, and and I would go so far as saying, yes, in your life individually, but he's more about together together in the church. That's why he's given us different spiritual gifts so that I would need yours and you would need mine. If we're actually going to flourish where the rubber meets the road is in the context of the local church. So we are a church that exists, um, and we're not here by accident. But like you might point to a few things, some decisions that maybe you thought you made or other people made for you, and all of a sudden you found yourself in Parker, Colorado. But but the Bible is going to tell us that in spite of all those things, there are actually billions and trillions of factors that are that are at play with, with a hand of a sovereign good. Providential God directing all of it, directing all of it. So, for example, in the book of Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul, he goes to Athens, and as he's in Athens, he's waiting for his friends to meet him there. He's walking around the city, and he's looking around, and he's uh, seeing—don't put that up Uh, yet—he's seeing that— that there's there's idols everywhere. There, there's marble statues uh, to to both the Greek and the Roman gods, and he's seeing just people go there and and bow down and give their worship and their praise and and give of themselves to these statues. And and Paul's like, no, these image bearers are giving their 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 glory and their praise to that which is not worthy of their glory and their praise. And you know what it does to Paul? It cuts him to the heart. Like it burdens him. Like, like, are you burdened at all that the vast majority of your neighbors are giving their worship to that which is not worthy of their worship? The Apostle Paul was. And so he went into the synagogues and he talked with the, the, the Jewish people and he said, here's the Messiah. He has come. And then he, he goes into the marketplace and he talks with the, the, the pagan, the, the Gentiles and he's like, hey, let, let me tell you about the true God. And they're like, hey, we have a place to talk about all this. It's in the Areopagus. Why don't you go there and, and talk with the philosophers there? And He's like, I'm down. Let's go. And, and so he goes and he, he begins to share the gospel with the, the leading thinkers of their their age. And he, and he, he He's telling this, this thing. And then in the middle of him sharing the gospel, now we can put it on the screen. He, he says this about God. Verse 26 of chapter 7. For, for, from one man, God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He says... Uh, Or your translation might say, he has determined the exact times and locations in which we should live. We are a church that exists in a time and a location. And that's not an accident of God. He has good purposes in that. You are here for a purpose. In fact, he tells us, Paul tells us what God's purpose in orchestrating every one of our lives to be in a time and a place is in verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him. Humanity would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. We are a church that exists by the purpose of God. You are here today because God is sovereign. doesn't matter what other people made decisions and, and your boss moved you to this one. No, no. God has ordained you here. Maybe you're only here for a week or six months or seven years or seven, 70 years. But, but in this moment right now, this is the space that you inhabit. And God says, I have a purpose. I have a purpose for that. But if we're going to find our purpose, we have to resist the modern idea that it's all about our story. But like, it's not about you. <laughs> like that's, that's far too small. It isn't that God doesn't care about us as, as individuals. It's just that if our story is so consumed with us, or even our family, just me and my four and no more, or, or even our little church, Redemption Parker, the story is too small. It's not what we were actually made for. The people that are most self-focused, the families that are most self-focused are the most miserable people in our community in our world. And so we need to lift our eyes. We need to find ourselves in the midst of a bigger, grander story. And, and the good news is that's exactly what God wants for us to, to, to find ourselves in his story. So I just want to remind us before we talk about, we are a church that exists to, to enjoy Jesus. We've got to figure out where we are at in his story. So the Bible tells us that at the beginning, God, out of the overflow of His love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He creates. Genesis 1 and 2, he creates, and he creates what is good. He creates what is delightful, what what tastes good, and and he he makes the pinnacle of his creation image bearers, our first parents, Adam and Eve, and he blesses them, and he says, uh, this is all yours, be fruitful, multiply, exercise dominion, Uh, make something of this world. It's an amazing invitation that God gives. We know, at least biblically speaking, we don't know how long that that they kind of walked in that. But but, but then we see that the fall comes in. Sin enters in the world. They turn their back on their creator. They say, we'll do it our way. Brokenness comes into the world. Death comes into the world. Sin affects every single corner and molecule of creation. But even in that fall, God begins to make some promises. In Genesis chapter 3, in the, in the, the judgment of God, he says, uh, but, but a promise is coming. The, the, the snake's head is going to be crushed. I'm going to send a snake crusher. And, and for, for the next millennia and millennia, God begins to unfold these promises. Uh, I'll just pick the highlights. Eventually, as as humanity continues to go down on its downward spiral, uh, God continues to be faithful. And and he calls a guy, uh, a pagan out of the land of Ur named Abram, an old guy with an old wife. And he says, you, Abram, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations, every people group on the planet are going to be blessed through you. You, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So this is a promise that the people of God hold on to. They hold on to, and, and eventually those people, uh, he does bless them. Eventually, they, uh, through famine, they find their way down to Egypt, and, and they multiply and multiply and multiply. The Egyptians turn on them and enslave the people. 400 years go by. People are crying out. They don't even know who God is, but God hears their cries, and God remembers his faithfulness. And he sends Moses and he draws them out of slavery in Egypt through all sorts of miraculous signs and wonders. He brings them to Mount Sinai and then God gives them, Moses and his people, the Torah, the law of God. He says, this is my will and this is my ways. As you walk in these ways, you will be my people. I will be your God. You will flourish. You will flourish. And he says some other things about these people. Listen, listen to what he says in Exodus chapter 17. Um, what verse is that? Can we go to the next one? Right, five and six. Okay. Exodus 19. That's why I was thrown off. He says, uh, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, the reason I, I say this is because these Promises, These identity markers, a treasured possession, a chosen people, a holy people set apart uh, are what the people of God just gets deep in their DNA. This is what they're longing for. And yet we see the rest of the Old Testament. They continue to fail. That they're called to be priests and they're not. They're called to be a holy nation and they're not. They're called to be in every way that God says you're going to be my people. They turn their back on God. But God continues to make promises and send prophets and call them back. And then at just the right time, at just the right time, redemption gets fulfilled. Jesus comes. And in every way that Israel had failed. Jesus succeeds. Every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect priest, the interceder between God and man. Jesus is the perfect prophet, the, the word of God. Jesus is the perfect king. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. All that Israel had failed to do, Jesus accomplishes. And then Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He goes to the cross. He bears the sins of the world for you and for me. He's buried on the third day, he conquers death in the grave. He appears to his disciples and then, uh, then he ascends to the father. We know a day is coming where uh, he's going to come back and judge the living and the dead. He's going to do all that, but, but there's a gap here and that's where we find uh, the, the, this stage of history mission. In fact, if we were to zoom in on mission, we would find ourselves. That's where we're at. If we, if we zoomed in far enough, this is the role that we play together. The question is, will we, will we play it well? Like, like, if this is true, if this is true, then, then isn't this what life is about? And if this is not true, then what are you even doing? Like, why are you here? There's better things to do with your Sunday morning. But what is so odd is that... that we, we try to live in the in-between. like ah, I kind of will add Jesus. I'll kind of treat the church like this. I'll kind of do that. Like it doesn't make any sense. Either this is the story of God that we are invited into or it's not. And we would do better to go skiing on the weekend. Maybe not on the weekend, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> right? Well, well, in this story, it rolls out. And we see what Jesus says about you and me, about his church. And, and there's just so many metaphors and mo- so many passages that we could look at. We'll look at just one in 1 Peter chapter 2 that kind of gives us a picture of what it is we actually are, who we are. And the reason I, I share the this passages is because I want you to hear so- some of the things that, that resonate that, that was, was meant to be true of the people in the Old Testament now is true of us in this room. And it should blow our minds. So in First Peter chapter two, Peter's writing a letter to the church in the first century that is persecuted, and they're they're being abandoned, and they're they're wondering is it worth it? And and so Peter's trying to encourage them. First Peter chapter two verse four says, "As you come to Him, Jesus, the living stone." So so immediately they would think of oh the tabernacle, oh no more than that the temple. The temple was the the I mean we don't understand how insanely. Um, focused they were on the temple. Like, like we really believe that, that the manifest presence of the God of the universe made his glory dwell in the temple. We, we, we'd be a little bit more uh, obsessed about the temple, right? And, and so Peter says, uh, as you come to him, the living stone, Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, this is amazing. This is crazy. You also, church, you also, Redemption Parker, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says we are living stones. We, we are now the, the, the temple of God. We are where the manifest glory and power of God can be encountered on the planet in this time and this place, right here, amongst this people. Like like, if we could just wrap our minds with what God says about you, like like, they, that would change everything. We're living stones. We planted in 2017. That also happened to be the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the church doors in Wittenberg, Germany. And so we also had opportunity to do some work in Europe and we were going over there with a the family and I said, Oh, we're doing a, we're doing a Luther tour kids cause that you're pastor kids and that's what you're going to do. And so we drove around Germany and went to Erfurt and, and went, went to Wittenberg and we, we went to Vorms. Like we, we saw it all. Right. And so at, at the, towards the end of the trip, we needed to get back to a, a certain back to the Czech Republic actually. And uh, Um, I was just looking on the map. We need to stay somewhere. I've never been to Dresden. Let's go to Dresden, kids. And so uh, we, we go to Dresden, and I'm like, well, what's this about? It looks like every other uh, European city, which means it's 10,000 times more beautiful than any of our cities. And uh, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Let's look around, and uh, I'll see that. And, and we go to the town square, and I'm like, oh, there it is. This is awesome. And, and so uh, there, there's a statue of Martin Luther. And Pastor Kids, get in front of the statue. I'm taking a picture of Martin Luther. This is only about. 60 miles away from Wittenberg at this point. So, so, so take the picture with Martin Luther holding the word of God. And, uh, and, and so there they are seven years ago. My, my daughter's like, don't show that picture. I'm like, they can't see it. Don't worry about it. Um, but, but there it is. I was like, that's cool. But what I didn't know then, I wish I would have known. What, what I know now, I didn't know then. The statue's cool. But it, it's what's behind the statue. That's the Frauenkirche. Frauenkirk Church, I had no idea. Like, I, I've seen so many beautiful cathedrals in Europe. I was like, that yeah, looks like a church. I'm not even going to go in. I'll take a picture, a selfie, or something like that. Should have went in. Man, that would have been amazing. I'm going to go back to Dresden. I promise you that. I'm going to go back because of that church. Why? Well, you need to understand, World War II history. 1945, the Allies are squeezing the Nazis, and uh, one of the things they did, and it's kind of a controversial thing that the Allies did uh, in history, is man, they they bombed Dresden like no place else, like just unleashed bombs everywhere in Dresden. And that church was one of the things that just got hit. This is a picture from 1960. So 1945, that church is bombed. 1960. Still, just in rubble. You can see the sheep eating in front of it. 1960. Well, the so Dresden's in East Germany, so the the communists took over East Germany, and they said, uh, "We're going to keep it rubble." They said it's going to be a war memorial. No, they're communists. They're atheists. They don't have a worldview that has beauty in their 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 mindset, and they didn't have any money anyway. So they're like, "It's a world war memorial," <laughs> and so uh, it stayed like that for the next. 45 years. When, when communism fell, some people got together and they said, we should rebuild this church. We, we should rebuild this because it matters. Beauty matters. And so they began to, to plan about that. And so in 1990, they began to take the, the rubble from this church. You could just see all the, the stones that are just there. They've been there for 45 years. They began to take them out and they take them out. Next picture is that they, they, they separate all the stones And they're trying to identify the stones. They're going to rebuild the church with the original material. And they're trying to find which stone goes into which place. And and it took uh, four years before they could even start with the plan. They they cleared it. They, They laid the first stone in 1994. Ten years later, they eventually finish the outside of the buildings. It's just a beautiful, beautiful building. A year after that, they finish the inside of the building this Lutheran church just points to the majestic beauty of God. And I, I look at that thing and I read First Peter 2 and I see you are living stones being built up to show the glory of God. This is what it's like. I, I think one of our challenges in the in American church is we'd rather just think of ourselves as those individual stones in a pile, But it's only when those stones understand their purpose and walk in their purpose together is the church being built up for something glorious for the world to come and see. And so that's what... Peter's saying, you're living stones, you're a, a spiritual house being built up, a holy priesthood. Jesus is the high priest, but we are now the priesthood. We are the, the means by which the world is going to have, uh, mediate with God, have an encounter with God. He goes on in verse 9, says, but you remember what I read in Exodus, you are a chosen people. What, what Israel failed to do and Jesus accomplished is now applied to you. You are a chosen people, plural a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That means we're set apart. God's special possession. It's a big deal that we are a church that exists. We are together God's special possession. And not only, not only that, we, we see in the next, second half of the verse, we're on mission. He didn't just call us to save us. Jesus didn't just pop into history and die on a cross so that you could be saved one day. Like, this is part of the story of God. We're in the story right now. And, and if we're going to play our role well in the story, we've got to understand the mission that we're a part of. Here's what he says. You are God's special possession, that you, church, plural, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's our mission. The vast majority of our neighbors, and certainly the nations, do not know the light of God. And the plan of God for them to know is the church of God. That is plan A and there is no plan B. So again, the question for us at year seven at a crossroads moment is in this time is this is our time to shine. This is our place to shine. The question will be, will we be found faithful? Will we be found faithful? Now, that requires each of us to understand the mission. It requires each of us to understand our calling. It requires each of us to understand our own gifts and grow in those gifts and walk in those gifts. It requires a ton. But will we be found faithful? I want to just encourage you to renew your commitment to Redemption Parker, renew your commitment to the mission and vision of Redemption Parker. If most Christians are content just showing up at church and being consumers, what I would say to that is don't be most Christians. The mission is too important to just show up and consume. Don't be a consumer in worship. Be a consumee in worship. And this is the call of Romans chapter 12. Give your life as a living sacrifice for this mission. It's worth it. Either this is true of us, we're living stones, or it's not true. If it is true, it, it means that we should give everything for the sake of the mission. So we want to invite you. We're not. We're not unrolling any massive plan. We don't have a massive plan or, or strategy right now, but, but but we hope to have one soon. We want to invite you to six months of prayer. Would you, as a church, would you pray? Would you pray for the mission and the vision of your church? Would you pray for your church? You could do this right now. You could set up on your smartphone because we all have those. Hey, every Monday morning. I was in my office practicing this sermon. I said, uh, I, I said, Siri, on Monday morning, remind me at 9 a.m. to pray for my church. And she says, okay. That's how easy it was. I didn't even mean to. And now she's going to remind me every Monday morning at 9. Like, like pray for your church. If this is the mission, and this is really what God's doing in history, don't you want to be a part of that? So, so would you commit to a six-month season of prayer? Maybe you would even commit to fasting once a month or or, or once a week, a couple of the others are going to be fasting once a week, Mondays and and Wednesdays, just to pray for our church and and for this crossroads moment that we're at. So will you commit to that? Commit to a plan to pray, and then commit to a plan. What's your plan to financially support the mission of God in your church? And, and maybe you're like, I don't I don't really believe in the mission of Redemption Parker. That's okay. Find a church that you believe in and just give amazingly generously to that church because the mission is worth it. And some of you, you've never made a plan to support your church. And you owe a huge debt of gratitude for the people in this room that, that have made a plan, that have provided a space, that have provided a context for you to encounter the living God. And, and we're always going to be that. You can be a consumer every Sunday, but, but, but just know that you were made for more. So, so, commit to a plan to support your church financially. Commit to a plan to serve your church strategically. I mean, next month we'll have our next Strategic Servant Sunday. And because the mission of God matters, we want you to find a place to help advance the mission, find a team to serve on. See, we are God's agent in the world, in this time and this place for transformation transformation personally, transformation culturally. Transformation globally, this is God's plan, and there is no plan B. And so we're invited into a story this time and this place. To that end, let me pray for us as a church. Yeah, Father, we come before you now in the name of your Son, who loved us and gave himself up for us. This church has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Lord, let us never be a church that takes that lightly. Thank you, Jesus, that you so loved the world that you came and laid down your life. Lord, thank you that you didn't just save us from our sins. Now you have commissioned us to be part of your rescue and redemption in Parker, Colorado in 2024 and to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd stir and provoke in us just a desire and an energy to walk and step with the spirit, to magnify your name, magnify King Jesus in our midst, Lord. We praise you and thank you for seven years. And Lord, we look forward with eager expe- expectation to what you have for us in the days to come. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we are a church that practices remembering every week. And so we respond to the proclamation of the good news of the gospel in four ways. We invite you to lift your voices in praise because he's worthy of all praise. We get to pray because he's made a way to the very throne room of God. So don't leave here with the same burdens without first bringing them to the throne of God. We'd love to pray with you, some elders and elders' wives in the back. If you want to pray with someone or people next to you, they would... Be glad to pray with you. We give, again, not as in any way to earn anything from God, but because the mission of God matters, we give to advance the mission through the local church. And then each week we take that which Jesus commanded us, to remember God's faithfulness. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks to his father. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of this, do this in remembrance of me. Scripture tells us in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. So this is the cup of the eternal covenant, which is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This is not a table of any denomination, but all who have been welcomed and invited into the church. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So between you and your Savior, who empowers you, lives in you, loves you, come and take that which represents his body, dip it into that which represents his blood, and renew your commitment and covenant with him once again. Amen.